The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Greetings from Evangelical Life Ministries. Dave Schultz, your host for this particular day. Got two wonderful gentlemen, both on my right and my left, uh, who are going to talk about some very important theological matters. Uh, Pastor Mike Newman, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Texas District, and uh, Greg Zeltz, um, Lutheran Center for Religion Freedom out of Washington, D.C. Some time ago, I ran across a young pastor, well, maybe he's younger than Bill and myself, uh, who uh, who just come back from a convention? He said, "Guess what? The last resolution was at the convention of our church body, and that was to um, eliminate all Jesus from everything that's written." Wow! And he said, that's "I couldn't." He said, "I couldn't believe this." <laughs> wow! But he said, "It's it was happening," and he said. So therefore, I removed myself from the church, which is oh, understandable. Not our church. Yeah, yeah. Um, a convention of another church, right, right? Different church body. <laughs> <laughs> good to make that clear. Okay. Thank you. We have something to offer, and my question to you is: What our church or what our nation really needs from the church? And this is your time to express this with joy and thanksgiving. What do we need? Well, let Greg start on that one. Well, I mean, our work in D.C., just so people understand, you know, we're not going to D.C. To, to Christianize it or things like that, but we're we're talking about the fact that we do believe we're supposed to be public Christians. Um, so our nation needs us to be that. So the work we're doing in D.C. is to actually ensure our ability to be public Christians, because there are some nefarious things going on today where people are saying, you can't be a Christian here, you can't be a Christian there. So again, that's the point, because I do think our church needs us to be a robust people of God that are out in the mix of all these issues, um, um, putting our temporal liberties to work, if you will, for the sake of the eternal liberties of Christ. Because as our, um, our good uh, DP knows, it's really ultimately the gospel that saves. But we want to be publicly engaged so that people do hear that good news of the gospel. And we're good at being public Christians, aren't we? We have a history, a track record, we don't do. we? And we, yeah, so I say we. I mean, it's funny to me because in some sense I'm I'm rekindling some work that had been begun long, you know, but like Walter Meyer days. Yeah. People forget that this guy Walter Meyer at one time was a public figure, unlike any uh, LCMS figure we've ever exactly. had in America. And I would love us to be that kind of figure again. He could engage these uh, what we call left-hand kingdom, social, cultural, civil issues, but he always had a clarity about how they related to the proclamation of the gospel. That really takes. Some theological rigor, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you know, so. Today, it seems we're almost tempted, the Christian church in our nation, I think we can include our own church body too, we tend to slide into some of the 24-hour news cycle type of rhetoric or divisiveness, And but it takes some theological rigor to really engage in civil discourse, doesn't it? I think so. And what people, you know, we try to be clear on these things. In fact, we're, we're talking about that today. You know, our efforts never do the things of Christ. Christ actually works through us, or the message of the gospel can work through us. But this idea of the, the civil discourse and, and the cultural issues, 
we're supposed to be in the mix on that, but it's that's usually a civilizing, uh, uh, temporal justice, trying to make it a, our place a, a, a decent place to live, so that we can what continue to hear the proclamation of the gospel freely. And that's hard work. Both of those things are very hard work, but you've got to differentiate those works. Does the nation care about what we have to offer? Well, that's, that's a great question, because one of the things I wonder is, what happens beforehand to reestablish a trust, to open listening yeah, ears? Exactly. What posture does the church need to take in order to get a hearing from the state, from the culture? Well, now I've got, I haven't developed this in our time uh, this morning, but... Um, one of the concepts we're working with is called the concept of being a spiritual first responder. I think that's really getting to the heart of it, because if you think of a first responder like a fireman or a policeman or whatever, they have this rigorous training, they yeah. have an orthodoxy that they have to, uh, you know, so they got to know all the stuff they have to know. And be willing to die for it. What's that? Be willing to die And not for only it. that, but all that training, everything they have is for who? It's for the people that are going to go save, or the people that are going to go serve. So a first, we value that first responder, because they run into the fire of other people's lives, um, and they know the fire is wrong, they know the fire is bad, and they don't want to just sit there in the fire. But they, so all of their orthodoxy, all of their teaching, all of the things that they've been taught, it's always for the sake of another. And I think that's really the church's view of itself. All of our teaching, you know, the gospel, even the moral teachings of the scripture, everything we have, when it's all said and done, is so that we can run into people's lives. Uh, and be with them for the and for and so we pray to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think that's Lord, make me a spiritual first responder. That's, teach me how to be the kind of person that can be your person and run into the lives of others. And I think that'll start to change the view of how people see us as a church, because we may not always like the police, we may not always like the firefighters, but we love them when we have a fire. We love them when there's danger. And to some degree, the church, I think, can begin to become something in the culture where they go, I'm not sure about those Christians, but, you know, gosh, when, when all this craziness gets going, they're sure good folks to have around because they seem Michael, to do it. Michael, do we have a training camp that enables young people today who are in ministry training to think along the first transponder responsibility? Well, you know, the beautiful thing, I, Jesus is such a great example of right. a spiritual <laughs> first responder, <laughs> you know, <laughs> incarnational and pressing into every realm. Right. I think sometimes we... We pulled Jesus, just, well, it happened when he was alive. The Pharisees trying to pull him out of the context where he ate with sinners, friend of sinners, all those things. And he was unafraid. And this is the one thing, you know, as spiritual first responders. So you go in unafraid. Right. You've been equipped. You have, you have all you need. It's not going to fail. You're there to fight the fire, do whatever you need to do, meet the medical emergency, the life task. And, but I think sometimes we've become so afraid that, the gospel isn't enough. God isn't enough. Well, that's the key, though. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you know, that's. I mean, again, like I said, well, the work I'm doing in D.C. now, that's that's preserving the public space so the church can be the church. But when it comes right down to it, the gospel is enough. I mean, what, you know, when we were in urban ministry, um, I used to tell people, you're going to get stripped down sometimes where all you have is Jesus. But when you find out that that's enough, you become. There's a confidence that's that's born in you that it just. Because you don't, all the accoutrements that we say that we need, no, those are helpful, those are beautiful, but all we need is the good news of the gospel when it's all said and done. But does the church really believe that, I guess? Ooh, yeah. Heavy, heavy word. Well, I like what you said about confidence, and this is the thing. At the very least, worst case scenario, the Christian church, Jesus, is a great influence on the culture. At the very, at the very least. And 
we can be confident of really being robust believers, followers of Christ, because we know at the very least people are just going to be better for it. But there's so much more. The fact that we lose the confidence, though, that even we can't even make a foray into the public square and say anything because, oh, what if people don't like us? Yeah, and, and the funny thing about it to me is that in all the work I've done, whether it's been in urban ministry or now in D.C., I found out that when you start to, when you have the confidence to stand there and you know that you're standing there not for yourself but you're a first responder for others, then people say, well, thank And then they hear what you finally are saying, which is, I'm no big deal, I'm just like you, but this Jesus is amazing and his teaching is amazing. And God's ordering of the world is amazing, too, by the way, which is another discussion topic. Then they go, wow, we never heard that before. That's, that's great. So I just think our message is, is, is so powerful. 100% sinners mean I'm no different than anybody else out there who have a 100% gospel message that is for all. Um, we just have to have the, the confidence to stand there for the sake of others. That's that responder mentality. And then our job is in D.C. is to protect your right to be have that voice. It seems, you know, as I began ministry many years ago, is that um, you had to be a first responder. Well, see, this is stuff that I, honestly, I don't think this is new stuff I'm talking about. I guess maybe it's new because maybe we've kind of forgotten. I think we have. I think we've forgotten it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's something, uh, so this posture, this posture of the church in Texas uh, for Ash Wednesday, we just... Yeah. also had a day of repentance. It's something Walter used to do long ago. It was in the old European agenda as a day of repentance. It was a different time in the church here. Right. But one of the thoughts behind it was, if the culture, if anyone's going to hear us, if everyone's going to even give us a chance, and if we are going to give an authentic presentation witness to the culture, the first thing we need to do is just have a posture of repentance and come before the Lord and say, wow, you know, we we failed in our faith and trusting that God really is who he says he is and what his promises really are. And we've also absorbed some of this egotistical, self, uh, selfish type of uh, mood of the culture where we're forgetting about loving our neighbor. We're forgetting about really caring about who they are. And like you said, being a first responder says, hey, it's not about me, it's about saving that person. And so this posture of repentance to regain some trust, to show some authenticity, and to really reflect, uh, ultimately, who Christ is. And he was able to move into the culture. Right. And I, I think you're right. And so, we, again, I also have to temper my work out in D.C. Now, when I'm done, all I've done is said, okay, you have this public space. And the public space has been protected again. But then, what are we doing in that public space? And so, yeah, they know that we're Christians by our love. They know that we're because we, we treat each other differently. We strive to actually keep our families together and to raise our children and, you know, the honor of the Lord. We try to be servants of the neighborhood. That's finally what actually draws people to Christ. So, as I said, even if we do our work great out in D.C. and get all the laws passed we think we're supposed to be passed, uh, the work of being the church has just begun. It's true, but you know what? Even protecting that public space yep. is a selfless posture exactly. where the culture looks and says, who does that? Yeah. Who cares so much about us? We don't care about the church. We don't care about Jesus. Who cares about us, though, to protect our public space, too? Yeah. So that in itself is... Because ultimately, uh, all things... The earth is the Lord's, the fullness of the earth, right? All things will serve the gospel. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Bernie Sanders actually said, if you're a Christian, you can't be a public servant. You know, I don't know if you remember hearing that because you believe that Jesus is the only Savior. And honestly, if you take our two kings properly... We're the only people who can love both sides of the equation because the Savior's talk is for outside of the political talk. And it is interesting because everyone else is partisan. 
They love who they love because they love what they love. We love uh, as Christ loves us, and we're willing to then engage even the left-hand kingdom work for the sake of those who disagree with us. And, and again, there's, tell me another way, another group that thinks like that. Do you have to work at protecting the public square, or is the erosion taking place? Oh, there's, all, there's tremendous erosion, and there's reasons for that. I mean, we can't get into all that right now, but the point is, is that just so people understand, we're pushing back. We're not trying to yeah. get the public square to do what we want or to give us... Uh, you know, uh, to bless us beyond our what we deserve. We just want equal access, and we want those opportunities because we think we have a message that really blesses everybody. Yeah. And there really is no neutrality. Maybe you know, in the minds of some, there's neutrality, but really, there's e- someone's worshiping somebody all the time. And so, if there's a push against Christianity, saying, "Well, you, you you're partisan, uh, you're not neutral, but we're neutral," well, that's not really true. Yeah. And that's why I said, even the, the moral discussion, every discussion is moral. Yeah. So there's a sense where even if you say, "Well, yours is religious," I'm saying, "No, mine's a moral position, and yours is a moral position." Let's talk about why I think our position is better for more people, or for all of us. So don't be afraid of engaging that. But again, even when you engage those discussions, it's always for the ultimate purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus. Eventually. You know, what I, what I love about listening to you and what you're doing, Greg, is you, you are crafting and giving language to something we really need in our country, that's what the church really needs, and even uh, trying to push some of the rhetoric, as I mentioned before, out of the picture that is, it's entertainment news, really, entertainment TV, yeah, trying to get ratings, trying to get commercials, and you're saying, wait a minute, let's put language to real discourse that can do the best possible thing for our country, which you're being a follower of Christ, a Christian who is truly saying, let's lift up the state in the right way. I love how you're doing that. Yeah, and I think that, thanks, first of all, because it's tough work, because there's not really any language out there for us, because most of the language is crusaderistic. And and if Lutherans are anything, we understand God's at work two different ways in the world, to preserve and to save. Well, preservative work is not crusaderistic. Uh, In fact, the only crusade that we're on is to tell people about Jesus, because that's the true crusade. But all this stuff about the left-hand kingdom work and the moral and public realm kind of stuff, it's lesser of two evils. It's, this is a little bit better than that. There's always trade-offs. And so we actually dial down the language. We try to bring more people to the table. We try to come up with the best thing we can do or the better thing we can do because we're probably never going to be able to get the best. And, and you'd be surprised at how that really winds up blessing a, a, a lot of folks. And so I think that coming up with that language, because I think today there's crusaderistic Christians, and there's crusaderistic secularists. And I think the pietism of our culture is what we're up against. Yeah, and those are charged words oh, these God. days especially. But what you're doing, and this is really a great thing, it's, it's just the same thing where Christians really can make the best scientists. I think so. Christians can make the best people in the political realm because you're saying Let's pull back that crusaderistic mentality and let's look at the Constitution. Let's look at the American experiment. Let's look at our ideals, who we are, and let's just lean on that because this is a unique context for this kind of conversation, isn't it? Right. And, and I think even when we look at that, like I said, when, when James Madison had said Martin Luther's the, the forerunner of the Bill of Rights, I mean, there's a lot of Lutherans who have no idea what he's talking about. Exactly. That's sad because there's a sense where he's talking about how just this Christian worldview that, that came out of the, the Western tradition created the, the idea that there's such a thing as a citizen, not a subject. Well, so many people today, 
think that citizenship is just something everybody experiences all around the world. It's just not true. And so again, to, to thank God for that, but then to realize, to put it in its proper context, that's not God's saving work, that's a blessing, but it's supposed to be used ultimately for uh, his eternal liberties in Christ. How do we move from being people who sit in our hands and just wait to, for something to happen to make it happen? <laughs> that's a good question. I'll let Greg I'll you, answer that I'll one. I'll tell you this right now, you're going to get involved one way or the other because it's coming to you. So I think you just need, I think you, I, I try to talk to people about Christian confidence, a healthy view of confidence, so that it's not for your sake, but it's for the sake of neighbor. It's coming. And, and so, but I, I think it's God who's bringing it, too. So it's not like it's coming in a nefarious way. Some of it's nefarious. But it's just, it's going to come. So you will be in the middle of it eventually, no matter what. Uh, but then we can actually start to talk about how you can jump in. And that's part of the things we're doing at this conference this week. I like the grid you presented, because I think the grid really spells that out well. And I think of, you mentioned even, but Daniel, in the book of Daniel. So when all this is coming, how do you jump in? Daniel seems to live out that grid in a certain way. Striving for excellence. Yeah, yeah. In the government that he was working in. Exactly. And then just his private practices of prayer, uh, refusing to give up on those things, public witness, engagement. Can you explain the grid a little bit? Well, yeah. Do we have time? Yeah, I have time. Oh, I didn't know we did. Okay, well, this is Robert Benny. And Robert Benny uh, did a great work. It's called Paradoxical Vision. But it's how the church influences the culture. And generally speaking, there are two words, direct, well, four words, direct, indirect, intentional, unintentional. Generally speaking, the church influences the culture through its people personally, and that's usually through unintentional, indirect, whereas, you know, we just learn what the Bible says and we try to live it. See, this is good stuff, and I hope listeners are taking notes. So keep on going. This is like really, I think it gives confidence and a spectrum of possibility to people in the church. And I think we have to go through that grid, because the first two parts of the grid is where I think God really wants us to mostly work. So the next one is... uh, So first one, again, remind me... Indirect, indirect and unintentional. unintentional. Okay. And there's um, direct and unintentional, which is, we might in Bible study talk about a moral issue in general. What does the Bible say about this? But we still don't dictate to our people how they're supposed to go out and vote or any of these kind of things. They just go out and be God's people. But now you have more information about this particular issue. We're convening. We're looking at right. subject matter. There's it, order to it. It could be a moral issue. It could be an issue about one of the Ten Commandments or any of these kind of things. So those are the, that's the church. As it gathers, it teaches, and then it's in, it sends its people out individually to make a difference. You know, for instance, that first one, uh, we talked about it in, in our talk this morning, um, the Protestant work ethic, you know, the idea of the, the dignity of work, the fact that work is not just so I can make money, it's so that I can actually take care of my family and serve my neighbor. I, I work so I have something to give. All of that stuff became the Protestant work ethic, but no one ever said we've got to teach the Protestant. Yeah, it was unintentional, it was but unintentional, it was product of convening, that. teaching. Right. So in the first two things, those first two grids, um, that's where most Christians live, and we say, go for it. You know, be yourselves as, as God's people. It gets more corporate in the next two grids, where you take direct and in, um, uh, or, or intentional and indirect action, which is now we're dealing with something the culture is saying, what does the church say? And the church says, here's what we say. But we take more of a prophetic stance. So we're not still not saying, here's what policy we advocated it, but we might talk about you know, the way our, our leaders need to be more, they, they, you know, we talk about profanity, or we talk mm-hmm. about dignity, or we talk about... This is salt and light things. type yeah. of things, right? And, we're, and we're, we're saying the scripture says we should try to live up to higher ideals. Yeah, there's an intersection here, the scriptures in our lives, even secular life. But we are not talking as a corporate church. Yeah. We're talking about these, these principles are things we're prophetically saying about an issue that the whole culture is going through. 
And you said we need more prophetic voices. Yeah, I think we more, more prophetic voices that are less that still are not intentionally political. Ah. That's probably where, where the church could could be a real uh, asset. And then the final one is direct and intentional action, where we get involved in some particular policy, some particular issue, say like the pro life issue, and we actually now are, are we're involved in that at at every level, not just prophetically speaking about it, but we're involved in the governmental issues about it. But the church very seldom rises to that level because if, you, if the church runs to that fourth grid quickly, the gospel gets politicized in the midst so easily. So generally speaking, especially Lutheran church, we shy away from that last grid unless it rises to be a thus saith the Lord moral issue that involves everyone. Um, because generally speaking, uh, God allows us to use our sanctified common sense to get along with each other. And you need to balance in all those areas. I, the religious right is a good example of drifting too much into one area and politicizing the gospel, well, would you say? Both, both the right and the left, because okay. the, right, the right tends to try to maintain a, di- a difference between the gospel and its political stuff, but it tends to sometimes overlap. But the left sometimes is almost politicized the gospel so that uh-huh. it's justice social justice the gospel. Yeah. And so both of them really have to, I think, and, and there's a lot of writing on that right now where people are trying to unpack that and differentiate that. Well, here we are as Lutherans who've already differentiated it in our own theological way of dealing with it. Well, and this is the beautiful thing. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. We have this spectrum. As Lutherans, we should be the best at this, right? Well, the problem always is there's a tension in this, and you and I both know it. None of us like to live in God's tension. God says, here's how I do it, and it's, this is never going to be resolved until heaven. So you're going to have to live in this tension of, of understanding there's a temporal work for the sake of the eternal work. We want to make it all one. And when we do that, we usually lose the gospel. So we need to rethink what we're doing. Yeah, and the nation, what the nation needs is for the church to be the church holistically. Yep. Right. It needs God's people holistically uh, acting and serving in the gifts they have taking responsibility, embracing the tension, needs a church to have a posture of repentance and servant leadership, the first responder mentality, right? And think about this, too. I would just say, and in our culture, separation of church and state, which we don't like to use that word, but more intersection or differentiation, that is actually a Western ideal. That is coming out of the Christian worldview. Who knew that Jesus actually taught this? So, again, my point is when people talk about even the structure of our government that that allowed the government to be bound so that the individual could be set free to be all that you just said, that is a radically unique way of thinking about that. We're tooling down to two minutes. There's a summary of all this that can be done in less than two minutes. Who's going to do it? Well, my thing is just learn how to put your temporal liberties to work for the sake of the eternal liberties of Christ. And you just need to understand those are two different things. So all the things that the pastor was talking about, um, Mike was talking about, about the kind of people we need to be, that's right-hand kingdom work. Right. And then put your temporal liberties to work, understand you've been given those things so that you can protect that public space to do it. Yeah, it's a great summary, and it really is a calling for us. Again, I really believe that we need to be called to that theological rigor to really dig deeply into the Word of God again instead of mimicking or echoing cliches right. or assuming that we understand uh, because of the cliches what God's Word is saying at this particular time in this particular context, but we need to lean into the Word and see that treasure then at work in all of us as good stewards. And it will push us out into the culture. we got a minute left, Michael. Um, give us an opportunity to hear about this in prayer and then we'll close out our program for today. All right, well, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for Pastor Seltz, for Dr. Seltz, for his expertise and the voice, the prophetic voice he's bringing to the church and to the world. 
we pray that you just work in all of us so that we receive your word. We pay close attention. We're not just hearers of the word, but doers also, led by you and led by your grace, so that many will come to know you and so that at least they will see that you truly are good and you're good for this world. And may that shining light then lead more people to uh, faith in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to us this evening on Engaging Truth. Come back next Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Good night. Have a blessed evening. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.